Well, a few weeks ago, I introduced this new consecutive expository series in the Old Testament book of Micah. And if you were here the last two weeks, uh, the first series of prophecies, in the first, there are three major sections in the book, but the, the first series of prophecies in Micah, in that first section, are about God's judgment on Samaria and on Judah. Judah being the southern kingdom and Israel being the northern kingdom whose capital was in Samaria. And of course, the capital of Judah was in Jerusalem. And Samaria's judgment was ripe for the picking. And indeed, before Micah finished his ministry, the Assyrians swept Samaria and the northern kingdom into the waistband of history. And yet, judgment was coming also and was due not only for the northern kingdom, but for the southern kingdom. Both had been overwhelmed by wickedness in various places. And yet, God had been merciful and had not brought the full, well-deserved judgment upon the southern kingdom. But now, in today's passage, we zoom in with some of what's wrong. What was going on in the southern kingdom? What kind of wickedness was there? And that's what we're looking at today as we see various forms of wicked games that some were playing in the southern kingdom. And Micah now, in this section, makes another prophecy in Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, is our scripture reading. And I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with very careful attention. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses take them and take them away. They oppress a man and his house and a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, Against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. 
Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, and like a flock, its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them, and they break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, we ask that you will give us illumination, having read your word, that we might understand it, that we might apply it with meekness and receive it with meekness and apply it to our lives that in a way that will glorify you and that will help us, Lord, to walk in your ways in faithfulness. But thank you for your tender mercies, for the promises of the gospel. And Father, help us now to understand this better today from this your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's, nope, that's not right. <laughs> We're looking for another title. Not there? Okay. All right, I'll tell you what it is <laughs> in just a moment. The title of the message today is loosely, and again, I emphasize the word loosely, influenced by a 1980s song by Chris Isaac, with a K, called Wicked Games. Wicked Games. And there's a telling line in that song that goes like this. It is strange what desire will make foolish people do. It is strange what desire will make foolish people do. Well, that certainly is an appropriate title for this passage in the book of Micah, in the second chapter, because it is the fitting folly that blinded the wicked and the unbelieving in Micah's day. Their desire 
there to be more precise as we will see covetousness was bringing down and weighing down the southern kingdom with judgment because of wicked games that were being played. You see, Micah was the outsider whom God used to give a shocking picture of what the insiders were not able to see. God sent Micah so to help them see what they were really doing and what they were like, the evil, their wickedness. And yet they wanted no part of it, as we will see. God uses a shocking picture of what they were unable to see. Today's oracle or prophecy, both mean the same thing essentially, a prophecy or oracle comes in three parts, and those will be our outline for today. First of all, foul wickedness condemned is in verses 1 through 5 that I read. False prophets exposed is in verses 6 through 11. And then, finally, future restoration foretold is in the last two verses in 12 and 13. So let's look at that first one. Foul wickedness condemned. As I said, in Micah 2, 1 through 5, Though some of that language, again, is prophetic and is somewhat hard to understand. Who is he talking to? What's he talking about here? Who's being addressed? Who's doing the speaking? What we see is the first oracle, and it is an oracle of woe. A very common thing used in the prophets. There are something more than 20 woes in the Old Testament prophecies which are woe to you, warning, it's going to be bad for you. There is not something pleasant coming. There is something that is going to be disdainful. It is going to be a terrible thing that is going to befall you. This woe oracle was combined with judgment, which would reveal a great reversal of fortunes. You know that term, a great reversal of fortunes. That means when one group is on top, a reversal of fortunes means a flip of that upside down or right side up. And what Jeremiah, I mean what Micah is doing here, he is telling the people certain groups in Israel that they are going to receive judgment and woe because of their wickedness and in particular ways. And it's going to turn around so that one day those that are on top are going to be on the bottom and those that are on the bottom will be lifted up by the shepherd king that God would send. So, who were those playing the wicked games, if we will, using the title. Well, they were a small, probably. It wasn't the whole of, of Judah 
of the entire, there still were those that were faithful. There were still those that were trying to seek to follow the Lord and his leading and his law. But there was a small but very greedy and powerful group of businessmen who schemed literally night and day. They, they almost couldn't wait to get up early in the morning to get after again dispossessing people of their lands and of their houses. These were small farmers. This was an agrarian culture. They didn't have all the other means of production. Everything depended on them being able to keep their land. And yet that is exactly what these greedy businessmen were doing. They were increasing their wealth through force and through fraud. This is not something that just came to them and they just hit the jackpot or somehow won the lottery. No, they had, were using their wealth in an oppressive way that brought about forcing and fraud. They were literally throwing families out of their houses that had been allotted to them by God's command. You see, according to the covenant, every man in Israel was to, to be seen as equal before the law. Equal before the law of God. Any man, all Israelites were seen and were, were to be equal before God and the law. And the land, each tribe and each family was never to transfer or give away or sell that land. That was their apportion given by God. They were allotted that, and it couldn't be manipulated away from them. It could not be taken from them, but it was being taken. That was the wickedness that was going on. This was a violent theft and a disregard for justice. And literally, men and women and boys and girls were being thrown out into a state of begging. Their lands, the only thing they had, were taken away by these wicked men. These guys had a pretty good business plan going on. You know, everybody has a in business has a business plan. You need to have a business plan. Well, they had a, one that was really working quite well for them. But God had a plan too. He had a business plan. But it was different. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Basically, God was about to do through Micah, Oh, you got a business plan? It's working real well for you? I got one for you that you're going to really like. No, not quite the contrary. God's saying, I'm about to bring your whole little enterprise down upon your own head. God himself is devising a plan for such wickedness. In verse 5, the lot of the guilty literally will be cut off forever. What God has said, because you've done this, the judgment will be that you will have either, either, 
No one in your family will be left to inherit all this money that you've disappropriated and misappropriated in a a wicked way. Either that or you will be in exile. Either way, you won't be getting your hands on all this money that you thought you had control of and you owned. That's basically what is being said in this first section. And the woe is coming and Micah is pronouncing it to them that that is what God is going to do. You see, in talking about this wickedness, Micah uses a very important word. He uses the word covet. Now, you should know where that word, where we first run into that, where we run into it. Well, one place is in Exodus chapter 27. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Pretty broad, pretty wide, pretty much covers the territory, doesn't it? You see, God knew in our sinfulness of our hearts that one, the tenth of the commandments, is the one that got one of the greatest theologians of all time. His name was the Apostle Paul. Do you remember? Paul said, ah, the big ten, I got that, got that, got that, check, 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 check. Until he got to covetousness. And he went, snap. Um, Doggone, man. Ooh, (laughs) I am really, really having a real serious problem with this. See, that's the one that brought down the whole house of cards. And you know what? It gets us too. Doesn't it? Covetousness. It gets us too. We need God's forgiveness and mercy. We need to be content with what he has given. So much of what is going on in our world around us now, so much of people demanding, expecting this and that and the other, it is all driven by such covetousness. Failure to be content with what God has given That doesn't mean we can't further our lot in a godly and righteous way. The wealth of these evil men, these playing these wicked games, all wealth is not bad. God never says that. But it's what is done with that wealth that is the sticky wicked. It's the real problem. Are we using it for the kingdom of God and for the needs of others as well as ours that are legitimate? Or are we wanting to just keep piling it on? You see, this was a great wickedness, a foul wickedness that Micah condemned. But secondly, Situation twist in verses 6 through 11. And here we run into false prophets being exposed by Micah. Well, here's what we need to think about. In light of these greedy businessmen, scrupulous businessmen, they were evicting people from their homes. How do you think... They took to Micah 
basically starting to drill them. Starting to come in on them and basically saying a pox on your house. Oh, by the way, you think you're, you're the one that's done the uh, expelling of, of other tenants uh, for your coffers? Uh, you're the one that's going to be expelled. You're the one that's going to find yourself in captivity. They didn't take too kindly these grubbing land swindlers. They didn't receive Micah's prophecy of impending doom. Micah was saying, you are going down. And they, that hurt their feelings. They didn't like that. You see, they didn't want to hear about. Just like King Ahaz, remember? King, uh, King Ahab, he said to Elijah, you, you don't say ever say anything good about me. Uh, you, you're just a troubler in Israel. I, I, go away, go away, Elijah. I don't want to hear you. Well, that's what these guys were doing now. Micah had drilled them and told them that they themselves were going to be the ones divested of all that they had. But guess who came to their rescue? Right when Micah's got them in their crosshairs and he's absolutely drilling them for their wickedness and their evil, somebody comes to the rescue. And you know who it was? It was the religious establishment of the day. The religious establishment, the clergy, the spiritual leaders of Judah. <laughs> you see, they took up the mantle and denounced the real prophet, Micah, as a false prophet. When in reality, they were the false prophets that were basically saying, oh, come on. Really? Micah, you just, man, you need to, you need to, you need to chill for a while. Go, 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 you know, go, go spend some time under some oasis some palm tree or something and and you know you, you you're just you're delusional these things aren't going to happen that micah said there's no judgment coming you see listen to this again in verses six and seven Well, oh, here we go. In verse 6 and 7, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach such things. They, the religious leaders, were defending the wicked owners, and they were saying to Micah, oh, come on, Micah, quit it, stop. One should not preach such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do you really think he's going to throw us out? Come on, Micah. You're the false prophet. You're telling all these things that we know are not true. 
And you know why they thought that? They thought that because they were the chosen of God. They were the ones that had the promises of God. They were the ones that had the inheritance of Abraham. They were the sons of Abraham. And they were absolutely certain no one was going to take them away into captivity. You see, this was not the first time or the last, my friends, that business and religious alliance stuck together like birds of a feather. The two of them, do you remember when our Lord was on this earth? Who got together to do him in? The civil and the religious. The, those that were lucratively Gaining wealth were side by side at the hip with the forces that were out to destroy our Lord. You see, they were working hand in glove with corrupt wealth. Now, I've already said all wealth is not necessarily in itself. It's neutral, corrupt. God even talks to his people in a way of blessing and and accruing wealth. It's not an evil thing in itself, but bad wealth, accumulation or usage. That is where the problem comes. And these false prophets called into question Micah's pronouncement by an appeal to the character of God. As I said, they said, we're God's people. There's no way God's going to throw us out like we're, we're garbage, ready to be tossed out. We're not going, we're, we're the people of God. This dastardly duo was confident that no evil was ever going to touch them and overtake them. This wasn't going to happen. And they were basically saying, Micah, you know, you're a fool. Stop it. But Michael told his opponents that because they had evicted others, they were about to be evicted from the land and from any possible future for them in the future. Micah says that the only prophets they want are those who advocate drunkenness, drunkenness until oblivion comes. That last little phrase there in verses 10 and 11 basically are saying, you know what you guys want? You just want somebody that would come along and just basically have a canteen, a bar open 24 hours, and you, you're going to sit there and never have to worry, and you can just, just stay in that state, and everything will still be fine. You can drink yourself to death, but oblivion is coming, even though you don't see it. Now, here's where it really gets interesting in this passage. Micah's drilled them. They've now responded back and protested and said, he's really the bad guy. But then this is all negative. It's all in the, in, in the form of woe and about whether there's going to be this judgment coming. And yet, in the last two verses, we see something really amazing. Oh, Jacob, I will gather the remnant of Israel 
And I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture and a noisy multitude of men. And he who opens the breach goes up before them, and they break through and pass the gate. Going out by it, their king passes on before them. The Lord at their head, at their lead. Now, in this long series of negative messages, one would not expect to find anything very hopeful here. I mean, the way he started out, there's nothing good about this. This is all about woe and about wickedness. But that's exactly what we see here popping up. And you know what? You're going to see this over and over. I told you from the beginning, this is what you see in the book of Micah. And a lot of the other prophets, yes, warning of judgment, and yet, at the same time, a promise of hope. And that is happening here in this very situation. That's exactly what we find in that passage that I just read. This is not a judgment, but it's a salvation oracle. Everything up to that point is a judgment oracle, but now... This is a salvation, a deliverance oracle that provides the possibility of hope for a future gathering of a remnant after the nation is judged. Judgment is coming. But there is going to be, at some point afterwards, there is going to be a recovery of God's true people. There will be a faithful regathering. A remnant is the word that is often used. Now, when, what, when did that happen? We don't know for sure. Some think it, the future gathering of a remnant could be alluding to the events surrounding Sennacherib's uh, invasion of Judah that almost took the capital in 701 BC. Some people think that that event may have been where those who were scattered around, he never did overcome and conquer. That did not take place, as I said, for 100 years and beyond. But he came awfully close, and yet maybe that was a way of dispelling a lot of the evil and that there would be those on the outskirts that might come and still remain a faithful remnant. That's possible, but we really don't know that for sure. But what is clear is the promise that God will one day again act as king and gather his remnant people together. That's the clear part. When, where, how, we don't know for sure. We might say today, well, when will that happen? Has it already happened? Does that kind of thing happen? When do we, how do we know? Well, God doesn't need to tell his people all the details of his plans. He hasn't. He's given us some, but he hasn't told us many things. And when he's going to move in a particular country, in a particular time in history, and what he's going to do, we don't know. But, you know, here's what we do know, folks. Here's what we do know, brothers and sisters, is that God's people don't need to know all the details, but we need to have faith, trusting that he will do what 
he has promised to do. That we can grasp and rely on no matter where we are, no matter what is going on around us. That is the good news that God's judgments are always tempered by mercy. That is our God. That's what he's truly like. Not like those that say, oh, he won't touch us. We're, we're going to be fine. We're the, no. We may not be fine. We may deserve judgment. We may be and need to sometimes be willing to say, Lord, we deserve it. But will you not in wrath remember mercy, as Habakkuk said last week? Will you not be that? That's the kind of God you are that relents and shows mercy. That's the kind of God we have in no matter what situation we find ourselves. And it was true then, and it's true now, and it'll true until Jesus returns. You see, even in the midst of condemnation, he promises restoration for his faithful remnant. It literally says he gathers them as a shepherd gathers his sheep. That was the metaphor used. This, this king that is coming, he will gather, shepherd his sheep. Shepherds gather his sheep. And one day he would give them a very special king like no other. We know him as King Jesus, that great shepherd and guardian of his wayward sheep like you and me. That's the ultimate promise, that the one, the Redeemer, would come. And it's being alluded to here again in this early portion of Micah. More that will, will come as we see. You see, Micah preached two things. He preached the judgment of God against evil. But he also preached the glorious hope of God's people, the remnant being saved. Listen to this quote by J.N. Oswald. Uh, and listen to how, what he says here. He says, there is no hope apart from judgment. That's pretty interesting. There's no hope apart from judgment. Why? Because we all deserve it. There is none good, no, not one. So there is no, no idea that we're going to get around that and miss that. Judgment will come. As I said last time, it will always come on one or two places, on your head or on another's. And that another is Jesus. But it will, it will be met. Judgment will come. He says, there is no hope apart from judgment. And there is no judgment apart from hope because of the God that the scriptures reveal. He will be just, and that means judgment. But he will be merciful, and that means hope. And hope comes through judgment. You don't get to usually skip the judgment part. You've got to go through it, or someone else has got to go through it for you. And that's what Jesus did. You see, what else, listen, what else is the cross of Christ 
than the eternal vindication of the justice of God and the eternal proclamation of the mercy of God. What is the cross but that? It is that and it is that alone that saves. For us in Christ, judgment has already come and it's already passed. And now we have this glorious hope. A hope that will not cannot be disappointed. What a vindication of our God who is both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And that, my friends, to borrow a phrase from Gandalf, is a very comforting thing. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a comforting thing to know that you who are in Jesus, just and justifier of the one who has faith in you. Father, thank you that you let Jesus take the judgment that we deserved. So we, the guilty ones, might go free. Lord, thank you for your promises. We know at times we do deserve judgment. But Father, in wrath, remember mercy, we pray. And bring about your plans and your purposes in this earth to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We talked about a shepherd that would come. Let's stand to sing.